Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. KQED in San Francisco. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Oh, it's that graduation time of year, that time when students put on a silly hat and walk across the stage, that time when eminent people try to be funny in speeches designed for people half their age. So today we're going to be talking about those speeches. What makes them work? What makes them cringe? Is it even possible to give good advice on how to live in this world, the one that students are heading out into at this moment? We'll talk with speechwriting experts, hear from students, and hear from you, we hope, about what people told you when you were tossing your cap. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. I don't know a lot about making graduation speeches. But I do know that the one I got when I was graduating was probably among the worst. We had Sasha Baron Cohen in character as Ali G, for those who remember. This was way back in 2004. I don't remember a single thing about it except this vague sense of unease and embarrassment on behalf of, well, really just about everybody. But there have been some amazingly good graduation speeches as well. Steve Jobs famously gave one, Taylor Swift quite recently, Chadwick Boseman, and maybe you've heard one too. To discuss what makes a great graduation speech during this time of year, we're joined first by Julie Lithcott-Hames, author of Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. Welcome, Julie. Alexis, thanks so much for having me. You made me chuckle. <laughs> Sorry you had such a terrible graduation <laughs> Oh, it was speech. it was really something. The parents were appalled. Uh, as were the kids, actually. <laughs> Um, we are also joined Which by... Which is not Dan- to be taken for granted. If the kids and parents are both appalled, you yes. know that you have screwed up. And kind of for different reasons, right. too, right? Of course. <laughs> we're just like, oh, no. Uh, we're also joined by Dan Gerstein, founder of Gotham Ghostwriters. Gerstein's worked as a speechwriter for U.S. Senator Joe Lieberman, and was a contributing columnist for Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, and Politico. Welcome, Dan. Hi, Alexis. Thank you for having me. Um, So, Julie, you were dean of freshman students at Stanford, so you've seen your fair share of graduations over the years. What do you think makes for a great graduation speech? 
Yeah, I think as a student, whether as a student, a family member, or as a university dean, I've probably listened to more than 20. I've even given probably four or five myself. And I think what makes a speech great is um, basically to, to channel Maya Angelou right now, who said, they don't remember what you said. They remember how they felt when you said it. And so a great graduation speech is one where the graduates and hopefully also the parents really felt something, which means the speaker has to show up authentically, first and foremost, with a good deal of vulnerability so the students can relate. They will feel related to, which then reassures them that you stumbled, so maybe it's okay if they stumble. You've had a strange path, so it's okay if they have a strange path. Ultimately, they're reassured and inspired. They leave feeling you're rooting for them not feeling that you're some politician who had a stump speech who could have given this speech to anyone. Yeah. Dan, as a speechwriter, it seems like setting that tone at the very beginning is, is really important. How, how do you celebrities or these kind of eminences approach doing that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think one way to think about it is uh, when you are a speaker at a commencement address, much as like if you're at a political convention, other contexts, um, you have to take your audience on a journey with you. And at the very beginning, they're making a decision, do I wanna follow this person? And um, I, you know, I think Julie made some great points. And just to build on that, I, I talk about the three H's, humor, humility, and honesty, right? And in the beginning, if you can set a tone by you know, lightening the mood, um, and largely that's done the best speakers, um, do it with self-deprecation and to use Julie's word, vulnerability, right? Making sure they can make fun of themselves. Uh, and, and that humility combined with the humor, you know, makes you relatable, especially if there is a gap, like a power imbalance. You know, it's a president of the country or he showed Michelle Obama. Uh, I mean, uh, you, you, you may talk about Michelle Obama's speech that, um, you know, that they can relate to the speaker and they'll want to hear what they have to say. And in many cases, like you win or lose the audience in the first, you know, two to three minutes after you've done the thank yous and the acknowledgements. Um, and, but once they're bought in and they feel like I can relate to you, I can trust you because you're being honest with me, it's much more likely they're going to embrace what you have to say. And then ideally, as really said, they're going to feel something at the end. And it doesn't always have to be that you imparted wisdom, but that you made them feel good about their experience or that was worth the investment. Um, and that there is something um, waiting for them in the world. Yeah. Let's hear Taylor Swift at NYU 2022. I think doing a great job with the, uh, the three H's. Here we go. I'd like to thank NYU for making me technically, on paper at least, a doctor. Not the type of doctor you would want around in case of an emergency. Unless your specific emergency was that you desperately needed to hear a song with a catchy hook and an intensely cathartic bridge section. Julie, what's the best graduation uh, speech that you've seen? Well, first of all, Taylor... I th- can I call her Taylor or Dr. Yeah, Taylor? I think so. Tay? You can even Tay? call her Tay, okay. I think. Yeah. I think she knocked it out of the park. Do you see what she did? I mean, let's get technical, right? She wavered her voice, technically, on paper at least, 
and a doctor. Instantly, she related to all the kids who are pre-med, all the kids who are forced to be pre-med, all the kids who know they're only loved if they're pre-med. I mean, that little sentence did so, so much. Um, But I got to say, the best graduation speech, is that what you just asked me? Gary Trudeau, Stanford University, 1989. Shout out to the great class of 89 at Stanford. (laughs) I'm a little biased. I was a senior class president. I got to help choose the speaker. We chose Gary Trudeau. Who's Gary Trudeau? Only the uh, guy who writes the Doonesbury political comic. Now, let me tell you, we had friends at Harvard um, who were having somebody far more important. One of our class, you know, air quotes important. One of my classmates said, I'm so embarrassed to have a cartoonist addressing us at graduation when my cousin at Harvard is having a head of state. It was like the Stanford-Harvard comparison back in the years where Stanford was not the logical preferred choice over Harvard as it is today. (laughs) And Gary Trudeau spoke from the heart um, in the most relatable way. His central message was ask the impertinent question. He was giving us permission to question, to dare, to use our voice, to have the agency that we had. And he opened up with a really relatable story about his sister who'd been a Stanford student who'd gone abroad and had had all of this disaster befall her. She'd gotten some, she'd been injured physically, so she was in the hospital with broken bones. She'd also gotten a disease like malaria. He had flown three thousand miles to go be there in her hospital room when she awakens and sees him she goes does Stanford build character or what? He opened with that story, which instantly brought him into us. He was saying, hey, I know you. Um, I know you know this community better than I do, but I'm going to demonstrate the effort I've made to catch a glimpse of the spirit that embodies this community. Yeah. Flattery gets you everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dan uh, Gerstein, you also graduate graduated in 1989 Woo-hoo. and you were at you were at the Harvard speech Are you that kidding? Julie was just uh, <laughs> referencing um, was how destiny, was it who who yeah. you have and how was it it was destiny that Julie we're going to and I were going to be on together we have this special bond um so uh we had the totally inverted experience of we had a speaker uh Benazir Bhutto who was at, at in addition to being a Harvard alum was the prime minister Pathbreaking Prime Minister of Pakistan, and you know Harvard has this long tradition of uh, inviting very prestigious figures to give the main commencement address. And you have to remember, this is not just the undergraduate students; it's all the graduate schools, it's all the donors. It is a you know a very large, diverse community of people who have interests beyond. And there's a long tradition of Harvard of these speakers talking about current events and making news. In some cases, making historic addresses. Um, and that might have flown, you know, 50 years ago, but now students, and even at my time, students had much different expectations. Her speech was a disaster <laughs> in the sense that she she barely even talked to the students there. And the main takeaway, so how did I feel after that? I felt shortchanged because all she did was basically um, beg fundraise. The <laughs> fundraiser for her country, beg the United States government for money. Um, It it could not have been, you know, it was the perfect storm of a bad choice. You know, wrong person, wrong place, totally uh, unwilling to acknowledge the context. The funny twist of all this was Harvard has this tradition, knowing that their main commencement speakers are tend to be not speaking to the undergrads of having a class day. And our class day speaker was just for the undergrads was Gary Trudeau's wife at the time, Jane Paul. (laughs) You know, I I knew her from the Today Show. I was like, I didn't have expectations. But boy, she she gave a dynamite speech. 
And uh, very much like her husband, she was relatable, funny, uh, you know, self-effacing and and most importantly, acknowledged her connection to the audience very early on um, and talked with us, not to us um, or more or even worse to people outside of the, the room. I love that. I'm glad you were redeemed or Harvard was redeemed. (laughs) It's uh, graduation season, and we're talking about the art and science of commencement speeches with Dan Gerstein, founder of Gotham Ghostwriters, who is also a speechwriter for U.S. Senator Joe Lieberman, as well as Julie Lithcott-Hames, author of Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. Uh, She's also a former dean at Stanford University. We are already getting in some comments from listeners. One... Says something quite sad. I graduated class of 2021 and our commencement was held over a live stream on YouTube. Wish I could say I remembered anything about the speeches, but I don't. And I'm fascinated perhaps by how the commencement speech has changed with the times, especially in these, this deeply weird moment. So we'd love to hear from people who graduated in the aughts, you know, the 1940s, the 2010s, the 60s. What was the speech you heard? How did it reflect the times that you graduated into? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Get in touch, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I want to go out to a little speech that, uh, a piece of a speech that Conan O'Brien did at Dartmouth in 2011 on advice. Well, today, I'm not going to waste your time with empty cliches. Instead, I'm going to give you real practical advice that you will need to know if you're going to survive the next few years. First, adult acne lasts longer than you think. I almost canceled two days ago because I had a zit on my eye. Guys, this is important. You cannot iron a shirt while wearing it. Here's another one. If you live on ramen noodles for too long, you lose all feelings in your hands and your stool becomes a white gel. And finally, wearing colorful Converse high tops beneath your graduation robe is a great way to tell your classmates that this is just the first of many horrible decisions you plan to make with the rest of your life. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. It's graduation season, and we're talking about the art and science of commencement speeches with Julie Lithcott-Hames, author of Your Turn, How to Be an Adult, and a former dean at Stanford University, as well as Dan Gerstein, who's the founder of Gotham Ghost Writers. He's worked as a speechwriter for U.S. Senator Joe Lieberman and co-founder of the Professional Speechwriters Association. We've got a listener who writes in, Karen, on Instagram, to say, I've always found Steve Jobs' commencement speech to Stanford in 2005 to be one of the most inspiring. You can't connect the dots looking forward, she's quoting here. You can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. And we have a little cut of Steve Jobs here. Let's listen into a, a piece of that speech. I didn't see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again, less sure about everything. It freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. During the next five years, I started a company named Next, another company named Pixar, and fell in love with an amazing woman who would become my wife. Pixar went on to create the world's first computer animated feature film, Toy Story, and is now the most successful animation studio in the world. In a remarkable turn of events, Apple bought Next, and I returned to Apple. That is uh, a piece of Steve Jobs' famous graduation speech in 2005. You know, Julie, I wanted to ask you why so many of these graduation speeches actually focus on moments of failure, like when Steve Jobs was fired. Yeah, because failure is an inherent part of the human condition. We only grow when we're outside of our comfort zone, in our stretch zone, um, and therefore being willing to accept that stumbles, fumbles, failing, faltering, floundering, fumbling, a word that I can't say on the radio, um, that all of those things are our greatest teachers. I call them life's beautiful F words in my new book. And uh, they're really there to serve us. So if we can get over the humility that sometimes attends, or or the, sorry, the, the embarrassment, the shame, that sense of, oh my God, and, and really see the opportunity for growth, that's when life really begins to blossom. And that's why we have to tell this to young people. Yeah. We're talking commencement speeches. We'd love to hear from you. What advice were you given? What pearls of wisdom have stayed with you, whether you were graduating yourself or sitting in the audience? What makes a memorable speech? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Remember, I'd love to hear from people who graduated in different decades and talk about how your commencement speech reflected the times that you graduated into. You know, I um, wanted to ask you, uh, Dan, if these are difficult times to give a speech for, right? I mean, this people who are graduating from college or, or high school right now, you know, their last kind of normal year was their freshman year. So how do you approach that kind of speech writing task differently from, uh, from previous ones? Well, I think the very first... Uh, thing you have to do is kind of uh, honor uh, and and note that experience. And I thought that's one of the most powerful things from Taylor Swift's uh, speech uh, this month at NYU was, you know, something we have in common was we didn't, both of us didn't have the normal college experience. And I thought that was important for two reasons. One is she owned the fact that she had, she didn't go to a typical four-year college like the, these students. Um, and that's, that, show of honesty, I think 
again, it goes to help building a bond. But then she, you know, she forged a connection by under showing she understood what her audience has just been through, validated that feeling. And again, that makes them much more likely. I mean, she's very popular. And so people were going to follow her most likely, but it made it that much more likely that they were going to be really dialed in to what she had to say because she recognized that she was speaking to the context of the times. And I think that's one of the cardinal sins a lot of speakers make is they don't um, tap into what's happening right at that moment in these young people's lives um, so that you're having a conversation that is meaningful. Because if you don't, then people are saying, you know, why are you here? Or I don't know if I can trust you because you're not really even uh, um, aware of what we're experiencing. Alexis, can I jump in? Sure. And yeah, absolutely. When I'm given the opportunity to be the one behind the podium at a place I'm not familiar with, I do a little due diligence in advance and ask, I ask if I can meet with the senior class or members of them and ask, what do I need to know about your experience that only you know? Mm. What is your favorite video right now? What is that little phrase you use when you're interacting with each other? I'm trying to demonstrate, not that I'm some 54-year-old, you know, who's trying to act like a 18-year-old, but that I've done the work to try to come to be among you as a matter of showing them respect for what matters to them and for who they are to each other. Yeah. Let's bring in, we actually have some students who are going to be giving speeches. Uh, first up, let's bring in Francisco Martinez, a senior and a salutatorian at El Camino High School in South San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Francisco. Thank you for having me. So talk to me about your high school experience during these pandemic years. Well, it's been a really weird time since we didn't really have the full high school experience. Our sophomore year got cut short through COVID and our junior year was fully online. So it's not like, you know, we could do very much uh, during the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was pretty fun, but pretty weird. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You're going to give a speech. Um, What's your speech going to be about? Um, it's going to be about recognizing how much different of a high school experience we had than other classes, but how despite all of that, we still were managing to graduate and do so many great things. I know that my class is very resilient, and so I just really want to acknowledge that. Yeah. How did you write it? Like, did you just sit down at your computer, go longhand? Um, the way I just uh, wrote it was I thought about like the experiences that I, I personally had and how I could relate those to the uh, to the rest of my graduating class. And I made sure to include things that were somewhat personal to me, but also things that I know that the whole of the graduating class experienced. Do you have a open with a joke? Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> just checking. Just checking. Um, and Francisco, before we let you go, um, tell us what you're up to next year. Um, next year, I'm studying electrical engineering, computer science at Berkeley. Oh, that's great. And what do you hope to do? You're going to become a tech bro? Is that the idea? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> okay, good. Good. Um, Francisco Martinez, salutatorian, El Camino High School in South San Francisco. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we also have Tatiana Hymas, a senior at Gateway High School, which is a public charter in SF. Welcome to the show, Tatiana. Hi, thank you for having me. So how about you? Like, what do you think was the biggest influence in your high school years? Was it just the the pandemic and its sort of emergencies? Well, something that I'm thinking about specifically writing about and when I was 
I'm still brainstorming the speech. <laughs> we can help you. I mean, you got some pros here uh, in the studio. Yeah, I'm taking it all in. But um, I think that's something that is very special about my school is the community. It is a really small school, so um, it's really important to me to highlight the connections and relationships that I've made at school. And you can ask anyone who knows me. I'm all about community interactions and relationships that I have with people. So I really want my peers and my friends to feel like I recognize the community and just give them, you know, I don't think I'm like a intimidating person or anything. Like I just want them to feel like congratulated that this moment has come and celebrated for the resilience that they've gone through over the last four years. Yeah. How did you uh, get to be this the speaker for your class? Um, so at my school, it's most, it's more likely an election. So basically we have to fill out a a mandatory form to graduate, um, with, you know, like the awards that we want to give out and who we want to host and speak. So I was told by a lot of my peers that they chose me to be speaker, which was surprising to me because I didn't think people would vote for me, but Yeah. (laughs) And when you're thinking about your speech, how do you think you're going to start it off? Well, I I want to start with something relatable and, you know, almost like lightweight, like everyone was mentioning. I don't want to, you know, these, you know, something corny. I want to something <laughs> relatable. and Lean into the cringe. <laughs> I just want everyone in the class to feel connected and to feel like, okay, she's understanding what, you know, the community and she knows what she's talking about. That's cool. Uh, Tatiana, how about you? Next year, what are you up to? Um, Next year, I'll be attending Pomona College, and I plan to study sociology. Oh, man. What do you want to learn in sociology? Well, um, my dream career is actually archaeology, so it's really funny. They're like two different things. But I just want to—I've—I was just talking to Francisco, actually, um, a teacher that goes to his school, Mr. Nichols. Um, He's the one who introduced me to sociology, and— just like help me label that passion for that subject. So I don't know, ever since that time, I've always set my mind that that's what I want to study. So that's cool. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, wish you the best of luck. Tatiana Jaimes, a senior at Gateway High School, a public charter in San Francisco. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I want to get to our first call. This is going to be Tia in San Ramon. Whoop, sorry, Tia. There you go. Tia, can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Tell us your story. Um, I graduated from San Francisco State in 1995, and Hillary Clinton was the keynote speaker. And before she came, uh, once it was announced, uh, people were speculating left and right of why she chose San Francisco State over, I'm sure, invitations from multiple other schools. And nobody could figure it out why. And then she explained within her first 60 seconds of her presentation. But before I tell you what she said, do you want to guess why she chose San Francisco State? Ooh. Ooh. I don't know. I, um, like the, the student, um, student strike, the famous student strike, third world strike. Yeah. Well, like you're guessing, everybody was just so, so enthralled with her decision and, um, 
what her answer was, was that the student body of San Francisco State represented 92 nations. Wow. And so she wanted her, her presentation and her speech to resonate. And so that was the reason. Oh, man. And what did she say? What, do you remember anything or how you felt afterwards? You know, she was, I, I, I get goosebumps literally right now because um, it was, she herself and her presence was what was most inspiring to me. Um, just the strength that she had and the, her presence and her ambition and what her plans were for herself, just she and who she was, what was inspirational. But it did make, um, my sister was in attendance to, you know, honor my graduation, and she was inspired, and she ended up working for the Clinton administration, and then I ended up volunteering several times, driving in the motorcade through San Francisco and, you know, checking security of the press and all kinds of things. But she, my sister went on, because of her speech, to travel with the Clintons while they were in office. So it, it, that, it, just her presence had that much impact. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, uh, Tia in San Ramon. And, you know, we actually have another uh, cut from a different um, uh, first Clinton? wife, oh, okay. uh, Michelle Obama. Okay. We have we have her speech that she gave in 2016 as the first lady of the United States. It was at City College, New York. And this speech was really read as an attack on Donald Trump. Let's uh, listen in and then we'll do a little talking about it. I have seen how leaders who rule by intimidation, leaders who demonize and dehumanize entire groups of people often do so because they have nothing else to offer. And I have seen how places that stifle the voices and dismiss the potential of their citizens are diminished, how they are less vital, less hopeful, less free. Graduates, that is not who we are. That is not what this country stands for. No, no, here in America, we, we don't let our differences tear us apart, not here, because we know that our greatness comes when we appreciate each other's strengths. That was Michelle Obama in City College, New York in uh, 2016. And this speech was really read as God, it was an attack on Donald Trump. Do you remember this, uh, Julie lithcott Hams? You know, I do remember it. And I would say whatever attack it was on Donald Trump, it was inviting every single person at the City College of New York and every single one of us who would hear it subsequently through to right now. It was reminding us that this is our country. She was actually prescribing how we should behave. Here in America, we don't let our differences tear us apart. She was saying that even as she knew that here in America, yeah, sometimes we do and perhaps more so lately than in a long time. She was telling people, you have the agency, you are in charge of yourself, you and all of us collectively can craft the society that we all want to live in. It was so beautiful. Yeah, these ones, you know, a speech like this is sometimes hard for me because I think like, as you're noting, obviously Michelle Obama knows that we, with this country through its history, has let those differences tear us apart. And yet, it's it's an aspirational speech. It's a it's a call to our our better selves. Dan Gerstein, uh, as a as a speechwriter, talk to us a little bit about the sort of construction of this. Sure. So uh, I should note that uh, I don't need to. There's not a conflict of interest or anything. But full transparency, I'm friendly with Sarah Howard, who served as Michelle Obama's speechwriter in the White House for several years, um, and who is you know a, a, a terrific terrific speechwriting pro. Um, I would say first, you know the the 
interesting that we segued from the call about Hillary Clinton's speech to Michelle Obama's speech because she chose City College for precisely the same reason. She noted right up front that, you know, as represent, represents students from, um, you know, more than 100 foreign countries. It has more than 100 languages spoken there. And she used that as a jumping off point to talk about, um, you know, how that community really reflects the best of America and what America is becoming. And, and it started off as a very, very positive note. And, um, you know, I think what the, the best, most effective political speeches, politician speeches that are given at commencements, if they want to talk about sp something that's going on in national affairs, an issue, um, a controversy, you know, if they can seamlessly weave it into a larger message, and as Julie said, a truly aspirational message, it is going to be so much more powerful uh, than if it's just gratuitously dropped in into an otherwise unrelated speech. And again, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, and I don't want to plug too much, but working with a professional speechwriter who can channel the voice and um, understands uh, the speaker's essence um, can really build something um, that is a um, an effective communication vehicle. Because you got to remember, a speech is a communications vehicle. And I thought what Tatiana said about, I want them to feel X. She answered the fundamental first question any speaker should be is, what do you want the speech to do? And speeches can do many things. They can entertain, they can enlighten, they can have a call to action, um, they can inform an audience. It just depends on the context. But knowing what you want the speech to accomplish um, if you can answer that question right up front, it can the construction of the speech becomes so much easier and more likely that you're going to succeed. Yeah. Let's go out to a different kind of political cadence. This is going to be JFK giving a commencement speech at American University in 1963, which he used as a major foreign policy address. So let us not be blind to our differences, but let us also direct attention to our common interests and the means by which those differences can be resolved. And if we cannot end now our differences, at least we can help make the world safe for diversity. For in the final analysis, our most basic common link is that we all inhabit this small planet. We all breathe the same air. We all cherish our children's futures. And we are all mortal. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. It's graduation season, and we're talking about the art and science of commencement speeches. We're joined by Julie Lithcott-Hames, author of Your Turn, How to Be an Adult and a Former Dean at Stanford University. We've also got Dan Gerstein, founder of Gotham Ghostwriters. Gerstein has worked as a speechwriter for U.S. Senator Joe Lieberman, also co-founder of the Professional Speechwriters Association. Earlier, we were joined by Francisco Martinez, a senior and salutatorian at El Camino High School in South San Francisco, and Tatiana Jaimes, a senior at Gateway High School Public Charter School in San Francisco. Would also love to hear from you about, you know, what do you think makes a speech really memorable? What makes one forgettable? And how do they reflect the times that you that were in or that you were in when you graduated? The number's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagrams, KQED Forum, and the emails forum at kqed.org. Going to bring in some uh, callers here. Let's get uh, Peter from Berkeley. Welcome to the show. Hi, Peter. Can you hear me? Oh, yes. I didn't hear my name. Um, Chance, with a small group of graduates at UC Berkeley uh, in 1994 in Peace and Conflict Studies to give my own little stick along with the others. We all had a few minutes. And I said something that I would say today, and that is that if we think about the geometry of peace, we're a lot better off. And what it is, is uh, the idea to look up to our ideals, to our social ideals, not just personal ones, but our highest civic ideals, Uh, things like goodwill and respect and communication and truth and cooperation and celebration for common goals. And then what happens is when we bounce our consciousness off what should be and not only what is, then we can look down, as it were, and see conflicts, whether they're personal or community or global, in a a much better light that uh, we, we can see a path forward if we do that exercise. Thinking about what should be first and then looking at what is. And I I just think it's a pretty simple idea, but a very important one. And again, I I would say that today. Thank you so much for for, uh, sharing that with us, Peter from Berkeley. Appreciate that. Tara writes in to say, my son graduated from Stewart Hall High School in the class of 2020. Because it was just newly amid pandemic restrictions, there was obviously no traditional graduation. Instead, the school really came together and did an extraordinary job for the kids and families. They hosted a private graduation for each graduate and their family. Had there been a traditional graduation, my son would not have ever been mentioned, but due to the circumstances, his entire graduation was about him. Both of the heads of school spoke directly to and about my son, while the rest of our family bore witness. It was deeply touching and meaningful, and I will forever cherish it. That's a great comment. Great story, Tara. Thank you so much for that. Let's bring in uh, another caller, uh, Liza or Liza from Point Richmond. 
Hi. Um, I'm enjoying the show. Thank you. I'm probably the oldest graduate you'll have on. I am now 68, but I graduated two years ago. Oh, man, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I was so excited from Contra Costa College, and um, I am dyslexic. I grew up in a family that is incredibly brilliant, and, you know, my dad was a professor. My sister is this, you know, and they all have advanced degrees. So it was a big deal for me to finally go decide to go back to college and to graduate. And I sat in front of the TV. There was no graduation, so I just watched on TV. They did a graduation ceremony for um, all the high school graduates who didn't who didn't have a graduation, and. I sat in front of that and just had the best time. And <laughs> I took pictures. I took pictures of me with Isaac Perlman and Barack Obama and um, uh, all these wonderful people. And I just decided I was going to thoroughly enjoy it, and I did. So that's great. What would you have said if you uh, if you could have you know o- opened your speech? Do you know what you would have said to the fel- your fellow graduates? Um, probably something having to do with my age and, <laughs> and how, how wonderful they were to accept me the way they did in things. I don't, I, I choke at all these things. So I'm not going to say I would, I would probably have said much of anything. <laughs> <laughs> I would have just said, ah. <laughs> <laughs> You've done great on the air. Thank you uh, so much, uh, Liza, in, in Point Richmond. You know, Julie uh, Lithcott-Hames, I wanted to ask you about, you know, kind of unusual speeches that you've seen or, or ways that people, you know, didn't take kind of the conventional path of talking about the journey of life or, or just like giving advice. Well, if I can, I'd love to add another voice to the mix, and that's that of Don Kennedy, who was Stanford's eighth president. I believe he served from 1980 to 1992, something like that. And, you know, he ha- he wasn't the invited guest speaker. He wasn't the famous tech bro or the head of state or um, the billionaire uh you know, he he was the president and we knew who he was. And his task every year was to get us to listen to him at that commencement. And here's how he did it. Uh, first of all, he had such a way with words, uh, but he ended every speech with the quote. I'm going to give you six lines of it. I want you to know before I read it that I heard him do this when I was a junior because I'd been elected senior class president. I had to come to commencement and prepare essentially a year in advance. I had to be I had to see what was coming. I then heard him give it this, these six lines when I graduated. I then heard it again when my boyfriend, now my partner of 34 years, graduated, and he gave it every single year. And it was the way to demonstrate what Dan mentioned is important. You want people to feel good about their experience and worthy of their investment and feel that these years there were special. He was quoting Adelaide Stevenson, so these weren't even his own words, but he made them his own. And he said, your days are short here. This is the last of your springs. And now in the serenity and quiet of this lovely place, touch the depths of truth, feel the hem of heaven. You will go away with old good friends. And don't forget when you leave why you came. 
damn, I get chills just still. <laughs> like it was, it was like he knows this was a special moment in our lives. He tapped in for each of us to the most profound, personal, beautiful, terrible, all of it, all of the memories that we made with each other in that place in which we were now sitting for the last of our springs. It was a way to close this door so beautifully and to say, you mattered here to us and we know we mattered to you, which, by the way, is a great development tool <laughs> for down the road when you're going to want to raise money from your alumni. They want to know you saw them and you and you cared about them as individuals when they were there. So I want to talk about these moments where where people giving speeches, you know, they, they leave the, the light stuff and they go heavy. I want to hear a great example of that, uh, sort of like the one you just uh, gave. This is going to be Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie on, uh, on love. And finally, I would like to end with a final note on the most important thing in the world, love. Now, girls are often raised to see love as only given. Women are praised for their love when that love is an act of giving. But to love is to give and to take. Please love by giving and taking. Give and be given. If you're only giving and not taking, you'll know. You'll know from that small and true voice inside you that we females are so often socialized to silence. Don't silence that voice. Dare to take. Congratulations. So Dan Gerstein, as a speechwriter, when, when do you go for the jugular in that word? Go for the heartstrings, really. Um, how do you know that, that that's the point in the speech to do it? Um, I think it's going to vary to some degree speech by speech, again, given the context and um, what the speaker's intent is, what they want to achieve. But I think um, it's not a coincidence that uh, she saved that for last. And I think it's, again, you're on this journey. You, there's, you know, uh, forks in the road, there's mountains, there's valleys, you're, 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 you're taking them to high points, make, making jokes, um, giving them serious advice. Um, and I think the when you have them committed to following you, you have the audience committed to following you, that is a natural time then to sort of impart something um, that may be heavy, but again, it seemed so authentic to her. The way she talked about it, um, it wasn't this empty platitude. It was something very specific that she felt deeply about. And I think to specifically speak to women in the audience uh, as a female speaker, again, it's not something that everyone could do or pull off, but she did it magnificently. Yeah. Let's bring in another caller. Uh, let's bring in Jenny from San Jose. Welcome to the show. Thanks. So what's your story? So in 2015, I graduated from journalism school, and our speaker was Nina Totenberg, the NPR reporter mm -hmm. who covers the Supreme Court. And, you know, we had spent 10 months of this crazy intense grad program with just work is life, work so hard. And then at our graduation speech, she got up and talked about her late husband losing him and actually kind of told us, don't devote your life to work. Journalism is important, but <laughs> your family, your friends need you. And we all were kind of sitting there after, you know, so much time of being stressed out thinking, wait, what? You're like, what family? What friends? 
Exactly. It was it was really surprising, but I think about that all the time still. That's really interesting. And did you take anything else away from the the speech? Did you end up following the advice, or did you do like a lot of journalists do and um, ignore everything else to the <laughs> and, and go for your career? You know, I did take that advice, and I have to say, some classmates thought that her speech was pretty kind of lame, and they didn't really agree with it. But I took it to heart and have made a lot of decisions in my career that have favored the people I love in my life versus just devoting to work. You know, Jenny, can I just jump in and say, I think Nina Totenberg was doing what she had to do, of course, because she just lost her husband and that's where her heart was. But often we give talks to people we're trying to inspire, knowing that today isn't the moment they will need it. But a year from now, five Mm. years from now, 20 years from now, when their partner has died or their family situation is in turmoil, there's a piece of them that will remember, you know, Nina Totenberg lost her husband and she gave us this advice about how to cope with that and so on. Sometimes you're delivering messages that won't truly be received and felt for years. That's such a good point. Uh, Definitely. That's Kathleen in San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, well, my, my point was that um, the giant elephant in the room of all this who's uh, stampeding and trumpeting is the fact that these young people well know, or not all of them, a lot of people um, don't pay too much attention to it for various reasons, but they well know that they their generation is going to be impacted massively by the whole issue of climate change mm-hmm. and the planet disasters that are coming about. And since they're going out into the world, you don't have to be an environmentalist to know that this is the most crucial issue facing us. And so I didn't hear anybody mention anything about that, um, and um, I'm sure there were some speakers that did, but um, there's so many reasons why it's been pushed to the back burner, tragically, because it's really the most important existential crisis that there could be. You know, I heard JFK talk about it, right? And back in 1963, he said our most basic common link is the planet, the air we breathe, in addition to our children, and we're mortal. And I found myself shaking my head like we have been talking about this for a long time. But, of course, this generation knows more than any other, uh, clearly, fiercely, this is the moment. And that's why, as speakers, we have to instill in them profound respect for who they are, excitement and enthusiasm for their capabilities, make sure they know they are believed in, not to the extent of, oh, it's all on you now, Gen Z, which is a horrific message, but rather join us and we will join you in co-creating in this urgent moment the solutions we need. Let's go to one more Cut. This is going to be Taylor Swift again. Her speech is actually very, very good. Go take a, take a listen. Um, and here we go, Taylor Swift. It seems to me that there is a false stigma around eagerness in our culture of unbothered ambivalence. This outlook perpetuates the idea that it's not cool to want it. The people who don't try are fundamentally more chic than people who do. And I wouldn't know because I've been a lot of things, but I've never been an expert on chic. But I'm the one who's up here, so you have to listen to me when I say this. Never be ashamed of trying. Effortlessness is a myth. The people who wanted it the least were the ones I wanted to date and be friends with in high school. The people who want it the most 
are the people I now hire to work for my company. Taylor Swift there delivering some advice on eagerness. And I wanted to give you, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and you, Dan Gerstein, each just a few seconds to deliver some advice of your own as we close out this show here. Dan, you go first. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, Well, before I do, I just want to point out something that one of the prior calls uh, uh, said and use that phrase, the elephant in the room. And I think it's really important. Again, this goes to the question of context. When you are speaking to uh, uh, a community that has just been through a tragedy or there's been a big controversy, something that is very on the top of mind, Mm -hmm. not just of students, but of the community. It's really important, and again, to do this early on as a way to build connection, to acknowledge that, right? That, And again, to Julie's point, it shows that you care enough. You didn't just show up, but you understand what people are, and you can do it very quickly. You don't have to do a big part of the speech. Um, To your question about advice, uh, one thing that we haven't really talked about is stories. And, you know, having listened to Taylor Swift's speech, I thought it was a very good speech, as well. And, there, and you know, it had all the fundamentals. But the one thing that I didn't think it did enough of was to tell personal stories, because we are hardwired as humans um, to learn and process uh, and feel through stories. It's not an accident that we have such a, you know, vibrant culture and, you know, all this, the growth of the internet being dominated by all kinds of information and entertainment. And I think that that last element about speak, uh, stories and weaving in personal stories, again, the great example was Steve Jobs. He told some things that show great vulnerability uh, and humility, um, but things that accentuated his point. And I think that is the, the most important thing I could advise. Julie, you've got uh, 20 seconds. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Tell Uh, us the meaning of life. Well, in my book, Your Turn, I do a lot of quoting of Mary Oliver, the late poet, who said, this is your one wild and precious life. And I want to underscore to Tatiana and Francisco, this is your one life, no one else's. It is wild, untamed. It is precious, valuable. And I'm rooting for you to live it. So good. It's graduation season if we've been talking about the art and science of commencement speeches with Julie Lithcott-Hames, author of Your Turn, How to Be an Adult and a former dean at Stanford University, as well as Dan Gerstein, founder of Gotham Ghostwriters. Earlier, we were joined by Francisco Martinez, a senior at El Camino High School, public school in South San Francisco, salutatorian there, and Tatiana Jaimes at Gateway High School, a public charter school in San Francisco. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Good luck to everyone listening who's graduating. We love you. We believe in you. Get on out there and be you. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.